Winter snowpack is an important source of water in the West, and its size can impact fire season. But researchers are finding that wildfires can impact snowpack. The Mountain West News Bureau's Murphy Woodhouse has more. Bright white fresh snow has a high albedo, meaning it reflects much of the sun's light. But wildfires, which are increasing in size and frequency, can substantially reduce the reflective power of snow for years. Blazes can also burn off the tree canopy, exposing snow to more sun. That all adds up to snow melting up to 57% faster and disappearing as much as three weeks earlier. That's according to a 2022 paper that University of Nevada Reno geography professor Ann Nolan co-authored. That could mean stronger spring runoff with significant sediment that could alter aquatic ecosystems. This is a lot harder to manage for because these dams and reservoirs really aren't designed for big pulses of sediment. Uh, And also water quality is an issue. She says there's a strong correlation between how long snowpacks last and the severity of the next fire season. Declining snowpacks driven by climate change and accelerated disappearance fueled by past burns could spell more serious wildfires. For the Mountain West News Bureau, I'm Murphy Woodhouse. Colorado lawmakers have introduced a bill to protect residents living near busy airports from noise and lead exposure. KUNC's Scott Franz has this. The Environmental Protection Agency says leaded fuel used by thousands of small planes is a public health threat. Colorado state lawmakers will try to speed up a transition to unleaded fuel by offering pilots and airports financial incentives to switch to it. Bree Lehman is a Lafayette resident who has spent years asking airports to reduce their impact on neighbors. I feel a moral obligation to fight this issue because so many people don't know about it and continue to not know about it. And up until now, none of our public health agencies or people in charge of protecting our environment have really seemed to take any of these concerns seriously. The bill would give airports money to install unleaded fuel tanks through fees on leaded fuel sales. It would also block the state from spending grant funds at busy airports that aren't taking steps to reduce noise. Scott Franz, KUNC. Researchers at Colorado State University are making headway in identifying how osteoarthritis progresses in horses. And their findings could one day help humans who develop the degenerative disease after injuring a knee, elbow, or shoulder. For KDNK News, Eric Galatis has more. Lead researcher and assistant professor Lynn Pezenite says the disease affects nearly 8 in 10 horses over the age of 15. It's the most common disorder affecting joints in horses as well as in people. And one of the most common disorders that we treat overall in horses is one of the most common reasons horses present to a veterinarian. Pezenite and her team are hoping to find markers of how osteoarthritis develops in horses by studying individual immune cells in joint fluid. Those markers may provide insights on how veterinarians can use gene therapies or other treatments at specific stages to slow the disease's progression. Typically, people and animals only show signs of osteoarthritis at advanced stages when they're experiencing joint pain. Pezenite believes information in immune cells might expose the disease much earlier, even before evidence appears on x-rays. Our goal with this work is to look at those very early stages in horses that have post-traumatic arthritis so that we can determine that tipping point of when we should be intervening or not. And hopefully this will inform treatment in humans as well. Pezenite says people could benefit from this research if the immune markers can be 
translated across species. Physicians would have better information about when to intervene before full-blown osteoarthritis develops. If you're playing soccer and twist your knee, tear your ACL, we would potentially be able to take a sample of that joint fluid and know whether you're going to develop arthritis or not, which would allow us to be more aggressive in treatment of that joint. For KDNK, I'm Eric Galatis. The sport of ice climbing is growing in popularity with festivals and competitions in communities around the U.S., but by its nature, the sport hasn't always been accessible to everyone. However, as Laura Palmasano with KVNF reports, that's changing. She takes us to the tiny mountain town of Lake City, Colorado, to ice climb with a group of adaptive athletes. It's a snowy morning in early February. Dozens of ice climbers are at the Lake City Ice Park for the town's annual ice festival. 29-year-old Derek Reamer of Louisville, Colorado, traveled nearly five hours to ice climb here. I ski a lot, so I have to balance ice climbing with skiing, but it's a really fun thing to do in the winter. Reamer is blind. He uses sound and touch instead of sight to help him climb. Ice is very tactile, and you kind of can feel what's convex and concave with the ends of the tool because they're such a sharp point. It doesn't require a ton of visuals at all. He also rock climbs, so he says ice climbing was a natural progression. In ice climbing, I can make my own footholds for a lot of the time, and I can make my own handholds a lot of the time. Unlike with rock climbing, where you kind of are at the mercy of your holds, ice climbing gets rid of a lot of those variables, so it's in some ways easier to adapt. Reamer is one of nine adaptive athletes at the Lake City Ice Park today. He's part of a guided ice climbing trip with Paradox Sports. The Boulder-based nonprofit facilitates adaptive climbing opportunities. Paradox Sports instructor David Egan traveled from Seattle to Lake City to work with the adaptive climbers. Well, as Malcolm Daly said so profoundly, show me what you got and we'll go from there. So if I need to figure out how to get your tool onto your arm that doesn't have full function, we'll figure that out. If someone has, they're in a chair, we'll figure out how they can use their arms more. Egan says outside of the guardrails of safety, everything in adaptive climbing becomes creative, and the point is to have fun. We want them to walk away, wheel away, crutch away, any way they go away with something accomplished. You know, it's all about empowerment. In 2021, Katie Nelson of Montrose, Colorado, suffered a spinal cord injury. I was really fortunate that my injury is considered an incomplete spinal cord injury, so I have minimal paralysis. Before her accident, the 33-year-old was an avid rock climber. She was determined to return to it. Because I really, really wanted to get back outside and out doing the things that made my heart happy, I had that extra motivation to really do my PT, my homework, and, and all that work that came with it. She's back to rock climbing, but in the winter, she now also ice climbs. Nelson started last year and says the sport has taught her some things. I mostly have just learned more about how I want to use my body and how I can use my body to kind of compensate for what it's not going to do anymore. This is a sport where no matter what, everybody has to use tools. That would be ice picks and crampons doesn't matter how many limbs you came with, what parts of you you can or can't feel, everyone starts on that level playing field of having to use the tools. Sam Sala is the national program manager for Paradox Sports. The Lake City Ice Park is, to me, probably one of the best accessible ice parks I've ever been to. 
He compares it to the Array Ice Park just over the mountain pass. He says it's larger and logistically more challenging to access. You start at the top of the gorge and you have to hike people down or lower them into the gorge. With people with physical disabilities, some of them have limited mobility. Getting down into the canyon and getting back out can be the hardest part. Sala also says ice climbing in other areas can involve navigating difficult terrain or travel in the backcountry. That's not the case with the Lake City Ice Park. Lake City, we drive up to the parking lot, walk 150, 200 feet, and we're at the base of just absolutely pristine, beautiful, steep ice. So it's not really any place like it. Back at the ice wall, Sala stands below adaptive athlete Derek Reamer, offering guidance. Swing that again, man. You're a little bit wobbly. Make sure you're really planting tools. There you go. Nice. Back on the ground, Reamer says it's not just instructors who help out. If you have someone in a wheelchair and you have someone who's blind, it might be the case that the blind person's pushing the chair while the person in the chair is guiding. We all help each other out, and I think the community is as important as the program itself. This is his third ice climbing trip and second time at the Lake City Ice Park. I had heard about ice climbing. I'm like, that sounds really scary. Uh... I should try it, though. He offers this advice for anyone nervous about attempting the sport or any new activity. Part of managing fear is having a progression to get better and being intentional about the things that you learn at any given point so that you're not doing too much at once. Reamer says if you plan to try ice climbing, go with people who are experienced and can guide you. Reporting from Lake City, I'm Laura Palmisano. That story came to us from Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, including KDNK. This is KDNK News. If you missed any of our newscasts, you can go to kdnk.org to catch up.